to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. All right, hey, we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to look at a different avenue as we go through. The first time I talked about, you know, chapter 2, we talked about how uh, the false teachers were coming in and they were deceiving, you know. Uh, another time we talked about, you know, the man of sin, you know, who is the man of sin? The man of sin is is the Antichrist coming in, you know. Uh, 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 last week we talked about, you know, he who is, who is uh, uh, restraining, which is, I, I believe, and I'll, I'll go over a little bit more of that to kind of introduce my text for today and kind of get into the into the uh, text today. And uh, so, as we have gone through, there are so many different things that open up, and you'll see that it, it will hopefully bring things together today as as we look at the rest of this chapter. Hopefully, we'll get through the rest of it um, today. Um, but be that as that be that as it may, Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verse one. I'm going to read the whole entirety of the chapter, all the way through verse seventeen, and then we will. Uh, I'll say a couple words in here. Paul writing, he says, "Now, brethren, and and hopefully this is the more times we read it, and the more times we discuss it, the more it's going to sink deep into your heart, and you'll understand a little bit more what this passage is talking about." Paul writing, he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. That's another thing we talked about is the apostasy, the apostasy, which is the the falling away, the departure of the faith, the people that are the church, how it departs away from the true and genuine faith in Jesus Christ. That's happening rampantly around us even today. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts, now we're talking about the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, the reason why we call him the Antichrist is anti, uh, you know, it's, if you think of the word anti, antivirus. If you have a virus and you get an antivirus, what is the antivirus? Anti literally means instead of, okay? So you're getting the the antivirus is instead of the virus you know this is the antivirus this is the combatant this is the this is the the uh the uh, uh medicine that will be opposed to the virus and hopefully will make you better well an antivirus is a, is actually even though it's a, a negative term anti means it's a negative term in this sense of an antivirus, it's actually a positive result. Whereas that's not the case when we look at the Antichrist. Okay, so the Antichrist is the instead of Christ. Okay, you understand the word anti means instead of. Alright? It's, 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 it means that it looks like it, it acts like him, it, it, he talks like him, he does things like him, but he is not the genuine Christ. That's what the Antichrist is. He is the instead of Christ. You remember we talked about uh, back in chapter 24 of Matthew where Jesus says, when you see the abominations of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. This is what Jesus is talking about right here. He's referring back to the prophet Daniel, Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 through 27 where this Antichrist, Daniel chapter 10 also, Daniel 11, and even a part portion of Daniel chapter 12 talks about this Antichrist. Daniel chapter 7 
also, there's so much of the Antichrist in the book of Daniel. And, and the book of Revelation speaks highly, or I won't say highly, it speaks uh, a lot about the Antichrist. And so Jesus is using in chapter 24 of, of Matthew, he's talking about the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Now the holy place, who can tell me what the holy place is? What's a holy place? It's the holy of holies, right? It's the temple. It's that, that center of, of the, it's that inner sanctum, you know, it's that inner part of the temple called the holy of holies. Now, there is, uh, the temple actually has two different places. There's a place called the holy place, and then there's a place called the holy of holies. And there's a curtain that separates the two, and that curtain is estimated to be about uh, eight inches wide, thick, not wide, thick, you know, with fabrics and, and, and skins and what have you that separate the holy place from the holy of holies. Every day, a priest would go into the holy place, to exchange the bread and to replenish the oils in the in the uh, uh, menorah that was in there. Every day that would happen, but once a year, the priest would they tie a rope on the, the the ankle of the priest that was chosen through the year to go in and become the high priest to go in to the holiest to the holy of holies, and he would scurry past the, that 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 uh. Uh, inner curtain in there from the holy place into the holy of holies and he would offer a sacrifice upon the ark of the covenant if you've ever watched you know raiders of the lost ark you know it's a you know a, a very loose picture of you know archaeologists trying to find the raider you know the lost ark and just when they open it up and all the stuff that comes out and so on and so forth that's not necessarily biblical. The point is, is that there is an ark that God had Israel build and it was overlaid with gold. And there were two angels, cherubim, that looked down upon their faces, looked down upon the seat and they called that the mercy seat, the top, the lid, where the the, the ark of the covenant was the, was the uh, it, it contained, you know, a manna, it contained Aaron's broken rod, you know, and and and, and as as uh, this uh, as this holy of or I'm sorry, as this this ark of the covenant is there, there are two angels, you know. It's a it, there's a picture there. I, I, I would maybe be remiss, but I, it's kind of a little bit of a rabbit trail on this that when it said that Jesus, when he when he was buried after he died, he was buried in the tomb, and uh, one of the, I can't remember exactly which one of the Gospels, either Matthew or Luke, says that when they looked in, they saw that there was an angel, one sitting at the head of where Jesus laid and one sitting at the feet of where Jesus laid. And it, Jesus is the mercy seat. I mean, it, it, it really is a picture of the mercy seat. Jesus is the mercy seat. The temple were foreshadowings all of the articles in the temples were foreshadowings of things to come they were never intended to be the everlasting things they were all pictures of things that would be lived out things that would be in reality and so the ark of the covenant the mercy seat jesus christ was the mercy seat and so the blood was poured upon the mercy seat we now look back on it and go, well, the blood was poured upon Jesus, upon the cross. He became our mercy seat. I, I'm throwing a lot in here. I'm sorry. But that's the holy, the holy of holies. The holy of holies. Now, here's the thing. The priest would go in and he'd, he'd sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat once a year on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And And... That was the one day of the year that the priest would represent the people to God and God to the people. And even though every day was a job for the priest to, to represent God to the people and, and the people to God, that was the one visible day that was quite frightening, I think, for a high priest to go into that place because it's a holy of holies. The thing is, is the, book tell, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that we now have access, we have access to the Holy of Holies. 
you and I, we can go boldly into the throne room. We can go in there. We can go in and we can come out. We don't have to wait once a year. Why? Because Jesus Christ became the perfect lamb. You you see. And so the, the thing is, is that this holy of holies, what is the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place? Well, what what it is, is it is the Antichrist that goes in and sits down upon the seat, sits down upon the Ark of the Covenant. He goes into the Holy of Holies where no man can go in unless he is the high priest. And he goes in and he sits down in and upon that seat. And Daniel chapter 11 and 12 will talk about how that there was actually a, a, a portrayal of, of an, a fellow by the name of Antiochus that actually went in and he, uh, he went in and actually, uh, uh, tried to go in and he sat down upon the throne. But that wasn't the full on presentation. That was a, 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 a worldly situation. We understand. But the thing is, is that there's a future tense to all of this where the true Antichrist is going to go into the temple, past the holy place, into the place behind the curtain called the holiest of holies. And that is what is being spoken of here. Here in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul says, Don't let anyone deceive you by any means, for that day will not come first, or will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed. Who is that man? We don't know who he is. People always, and I think I shared this a few weeks ago, and that was this. We, we uh, oftentimes, people will look and say, where is and who is uh, the Antichrist? Where does he live? Where is he, where is he residing? Where, where, who is the guy? Who is the Antichrist? And, you know, some people are going, is it Donald Trump? You know? Yeah. Is it Vladimir Putin? Is it? And, and everybody, anytime a leader starts to rise up, people look and go, oh, it must be him. Was it Obama? You know, everybody, people thought, was it Obama? Is it Bill Clinton? Back when he was in power. Everybody wants to take the most notable man in charge. And, you know, in some aspects, some people hate, you know, whatever president it might be. And, and they'll, they'll look at that or they'll see a world leader start to rise up and think, oh, that's probably the Antichrist. It's gotta be. And then they begin to formulate the reasons why it's the Antichrist. And, and I would say, don't waste your time, Christians, looking for the Antichrist. Don't, my heart is, and I heard this many, many years ago. I wish I could say that I coined this phrase. I didn't. I heard it from my pastor, Chuck Smith, and that is this. I don't want to waste my time looking for Antichrist. I want to just be looking for Jesus Christ. Okay, And so the point is, let's look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame and right now sits down at the right hand of the Father. That's who we should be looking for. And so as we are looking towards Jesus, there is some truth to, is the Antichrist on the earth right now? And I would say, yes, I believe that there is any number of people that will be that could be the Antichrist. How do, what do you mean, Pastor Don? Are you naming who the Antichrist is? Absolutely not. But see, here's the thing. Satan doesn't know who the Antichrist is either. He doesn't know who it is. He always has a handful of those leaders and some that might not even be in power yet that his eye is upon. That it says that he will... He will issue his his presence upon in due time. And and so there's a person upon the face of the earth that that should, you know, the rapture happen. Satan's gonna he's he he's gonna go after that one guy that he knows is gonna be the Antichrist. And he has uh you know a bunch of them out there, I believe. All the way from all the way back into Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen where it said that there's going to be enmity between your seed, woman, or uh, Satan, and her seed, the woman. There's going to be enmity. And, And you will bruise his heel, Satan, 
but he will crush your head. There's a battle. I mean, all the way from back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that is a beginning look at that there's coming at someone on the scene. And I believe from that point on, I think Cain was probably the first one that Satan would have looked at and said, I could put my power upon him very quickly. But I believe he's always had people. People, was it Hitler? Well, no, it wasn't because he's dead. Could it have been? Absolutely. But it wasn't. And so people will look and try to find out who the Antichrist is. Don't waste your time. Just know that there is someone on the scene right now. There are many on the scene that Satan is just waiting for the rapture of the church to happen in order for him to put his power and his presence upon an individual that will rise up and become this world leader. A world leader that will, according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, more so in 25, uh, 26 and 27, where it says that he, this prince who is to come, the Antichrist, he's going to confirm a covenant. For a seven-year period, and we call that the tribulation period, he's going to confirm a covenant. And what he's going to do is he's going to allow Israel to rebuild their temple. Now, I've been to Israel a couple of times. Back in 1992 and 1993, uh, and then also in 2001, it was right after the World Trade Center um, issue. I went over uh, um, after 9-11. I went over in with a, a few other pastors. We had 24 of us pastors that went over to Israel, and we were really the only tourists from the U.S. that were over there. Um, there was no tourism at all. And people lost their homes over there because they relied on tourism and they just lost everything. But it was very, very fragile. But, but the thing is, is that um, the... Uh, when I was over there the first time, we went into a little place called the Temple Institute. The Temple Institute, it boasts in Israel, it boasts that they have every article that they need and they have actually even begun to train uh, in schools people to become the Levitical priests because you need Levitical priests in order to operate the temple. They, you know, there's, you know a lot of talk about red heifers, you know, and that they need a red heifer in order to sanctify the temple. And they say that there is a genuine, according to the rabbis, there are a a couple of genuine red heifers that are in Israel and they keep them safeguarded and locked away to where nobody knows where they are, lest, you know, a terrorist goes in and kills, kills the animal. But over the last probably 10 years, 8 to 10 years, they've had red heifer, you know, a red heifer where they would purify uh, the temple. They've rebuilt much of the articles that need to be inside of the temple. And, and all of the outside uh, lavers. And, and, and washing basins, basins, and they have all of the articles. And we asked, I went over there with, with a few people from my college, and we asked, hey, uh, you say you have every article of that, that the temple needs in order to be an oper- fully operational temple? And they said, yes. How long will it take you to rebuild the temple? We can rebuild the temple within six months, period. We can have an operational temple. Hmm. And probably even faster than that. We have the priests, we have the articles, we have everything in order to operate the temple. And one of our other students had asked, well, doesn't an operational temple require the Ark of the Covenant? Yes. So what you're saying is that you have, and then that obviously brought out the question, right? So what you're saying is that you guys have the Ark of the Covenant. He said, I didn't say that. I never said that next question. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Do you have the Ark of the Covenant? I said, I didn't say we have the Ark of the Covenant. But you said you have every article that is needed to have a fully functioning temple. That's correct. And you need 
an Ark of the Covenant, the true Ark of the Covenant, in order to operate the temple. Yes. So you're saying you have the Ark of the Covenant. I didn't say we have the Ark of the Covenant. And he never would, would be pinned down. He would never allow us to pin him down. So where's the Ark of the Covenant? I don't know. I don't know. I think that someone knows, and I think that the Jews probably know exactly where it is. Just waiting. Waiting for the day that they're able to rebuild the temple. When I was over there back in 92, 93, there were these banners that were all over everywhere that said, get ready, Messiah is coming. Yellow banners, I have pictures of them everywhere, all over in in Israel. And you go, what? And as you talk to a Jew and you ask them, what is your Messiah? Who is your Messiah? Who are you looking for? And they will say, we are looking for a leader in the world that will come to the rescue of the Jewish people and that will allow us to rebuild our temple and he will establish peace with our Muslim brothers, with our Muslim neighbors. And when you were, and I've actually asked this question of a few different Jews. So what you're describing to me is what I see as what the Bible calls the Antichrist. And they will say what you Christians call the Antichrist, we call the Messiah. So they're set up. They're set up waiting for someone to come in and give, they so desperately want peace. When I went over in 2001, I sat down with the director of tourism. I ended up going into their uh, um, Knesset and and going in and checking out, you know, I was able to go into their big government buildings and going into their, you know, it's like their Senate, you know, and, uh, and, and go in there and, and I'd see and talk to people. Well, one place we ended up going into was, was the director of tourism, which is a huge guy there. And, and he was sitting there with us pastors there and he began to cry and, and he began to weep. What, what's the matter? And he says, my kids, they're young. They don't deserve to die. I am so afraid. They go out. They'll go out to be with their friends. And you just never know when the next bombing is going to happen and take the life of my kids. I'm so weary and tired of conflict. I just want peace. I just want peace. It was the day after we came home that in the location that we and our a few of the other pastors that we were that I was with that night, we shopped our last shop that we went into because we knew that we were we had to get back to the hotel because we had an early morning flight and so this was the last shop we went into. We hung out in this shop. We bought some articles back for folks back home. Left, went back to our hotel. On our way back to the states, when we got back, we found out that there was a bombing, and it blew up that shop that we were at. And and not only did it blow up that shop, but what happened is that these terrorists, what they would do is that they blew up a car right outside of this building and it killed many people. And as the emergency personnel came in to assist those were, that, were, that were injured, once there was all of these you know, officials in there and all these people that came in, they detonated another bomb and killed more and killed those rescuers that went in there. And it's it's just, Israel is pining for peace. They want peace. They just want peace. They're set up for a world leader to come in and say, here's what we're going to do. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 39, talks about, uh, 39 and 40, talks about how someone will come in and allow, they measured, God told Ezekiel to go and measure the court, the temple mount. And part of it will be designated for the Jews, but all of this that is designated for you will be yours, but there is other that will be called the court of the Gentiles. It will be, it'll be given over to the Jews, or over to the, the neighbors, to the Muslims, basically. It goes to the Gentiles. They called them the Gentiles. They didn't call them Muslims. They didn't call them Arabs. They didn't call them Palestinians. They didn't call them any. They called them the Gentiles. Anybody who wasn't a Jew is a Gentile. But that's the court of the Gentiles. What they do with that is fine. 
And as you go back and you look, there was a, uh, a fellow by the name of Asher Kaufman that went and, and measured off so much of this uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, late 80s, not early 90s. I think it was all done by that time. But um, measured off all of this. And and on top of the Temple Mount, there there could be a wall that would be placed, could be placed, that would allow the Muslims to continue to have their Dome of the Rock. Whenever you see a picture of Israel, you see this, this, uh, uh, this dome on top of the Temple Mount and it's gold and you go, oh wow, that's pretty. That must, that's, you know, what a beautiful structure for the Jews. It has nothing to do with the Jews. It's it's actually diametrically opposed to the Jews. It's in the middle of Israel. But they call that the Dome of the Rock where supposedly Muhammad's feet left the ground over a rock. But just down uh, uh, south of that, of that, uh, um, that dome of the rock is another dome down there and it has a, a, a tin uh, roof on it, a tin roof on it. And so it, it's, it's kind of corroded and it's kind of black. Now, the dome on top of, uh, of uh, the dome of the rock, that gold, it used to be bronze. It's no longer bronze. It literally is gold. It's gold. It was funded and paid for by the king of Jordan. And so this is gold. But there is the, what is called the Mosque of Omar, which is to the south of the Dome of the Rock. Not too far. I mean, it's, it's not, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you standing at the Dome of the Rock, you can see it. It's right there. I mean, it's just down the walkway a bit. Um, I, I, we are able to go up there as, as Americans. We were able to go up there. Jews are not supposed to be up there. They, they frown pretty highly on the Jews going up there. Ariel Sharon, any of you guys remember when Ari, who Ariel Sharon was? Ariel Sharon was the prime minister of Israel uh, be, well before uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. And Ariel Sharon, he felt that the Jews should be perfectly welcome to go up to the Temple Mount on top of the Temple Mount. When you look at pictures of the Temple Mount today and you look at pictures that people take of the Jews and the Temple Mount, what you see is the Western Wall where you see people standing before a wall and praying in front of the wall. You see that picture? I don't know if you've ever seen that, but that right there, that's really the closest location that any Jew can get to the top of the Temple Mount. That right there. That's why it's, it's a holy site to them. It's the closest that they can get to. And I don't have time to get into all of the reasons why they don't hold the top up there. Uh, they could. They have the legal right to. But they, in good faith, in an act of trying to reach out with an olive branch to the Muslims, they allowed them to police the top to police the top of the Temple Mount. It was General Moshe Dayan who did that back in the, uh, the uh, Six-Day War back in June of 1967. Uh, Israel took on all of the surrounding countries and wiped them out. I mean, I think it was, they destroyed 500, I think, and 28 or 578 of their jets and they lost none. You want to talk about God being a protector over the the hand of Israel? A little small little nation about the size of Connecticut destroyed the military bases that surrounded him, whether it be in Syria, whether it be in Jordan, whether it be in in, uh, in, uh, uh, Egypt. They just destroyed these places. And they won the Six-Day War. And during that time, now, that six-day war was not brought on by the Jews, even though the Jews struck first. It was all the surrounding nations that had built an, a, an, a, a, an alliance with one another. And they were basically boasting that we're going to go in and we're going to wipe the Jews off. We're going to push them into the ocean. We're going to push them into the Mediterranean. 
we're deciding what day we're going to do it, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And the Jews were going, please don't do this. We don't want to fight. We don't want to have another battle. We're tired of battles. We don't want a battle. We don't want a battle. Leave us alone, please. We just want our land. We just want to stay here. You go, yeah. The faster that you are off the face of this planet, the better it's going to be for the planet. And so they, they hate the Jews. And so they were deciding what day they were going to, to, to destroy the Jews. I'm sorry, I'm getting into the history of all of this stuff. But the point is, Israel struck first and thoroughly destroyed all of those nations' militaries. And they were, they were bankrupt. They, they had no ability to go back and fight against the Jews. And so the Jews, you know, they took part of the Gaza Strip. They took part of the Golan Heights. And that's a lot of the, you know, and the West Bank, you know. Uh, those three areas are what is being, you know, fought for today. But know this, that if Israel were to give all of the Gaza Strip back, if Israel were to give all of the Golan Heights back, if Israel were to give all of the West Bank back, do you think that there would be peace? There's not going to be peace. They just want that. Once they get that, they're going to want the rest of the land. They want is they are not going to be satisfied until Israel is pushed off into the Mediterranean. The Jews are gone, eradicated off the earth. But that is exactly what Satan has tried to do his entire life. It's what Hitler tried to do. I believe that God or that that Satan had his his power even upon Hitler and tried to exterminate the Jews. And God kept him alive. All the way back, you know, in in, in the book of Esther. They, you know, uh, uh, um, with Mordecai and, and uh, what's his name? What's the guy's name? Huh? Haman, yeah. Haman. He tried to eradicate the Jews, tried to get the king. I swear, it was Artaxerxes or Ahasuerus. I can't remember. It was one of those kings. To try to eradicate the Jews. And he ended up getting hung on his own gallows. But, Satan has always tried to eradicate the Jews. And the Jew, I, I, I say all of this because the Jews, I'm trying to paint this picture, the Jews just want peace. Can you blame them? Can you blame them? I just want peace. We just want peace. But it's set up because there's coming a day that there is a world leader that will come on the scene and say, hey, you know what? Enough is enough. We're going to make a peace treaty between the Jews and the Arabs. And here's the thing. Let's not fight anymore. We can separate the top of, it, of the mount and, and it's not going to have to tear down the Dome of the Rock or the Mosque of Omar. There can be a wall that can separate the Jews from the, or the Muslims from the Jews. And on this side of the wall, on that side of the wall, Mosque of Omar and, and the Dome of the Rock and the Mosque of Omar, on this side of the wall, the Jews, go ahead and rebuild your temple. Rebuild your temple. To the Jews, this is the Messiah. The book of Daniel, chapters 9, or 7, 9, 10, 11, and even into 12. Book of Revelation. Uh, from chapter 6 through 19. Well, it's not all the way through 19, but the Antichrist. Jesus talking about it in, in Matthew chapter 24 and Paul talking about it here in chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians. This is the Antichrist that is going to allow them to rebuild their temple. But, you still with me? I know I've thrown a lot out here. But, it says... In Daniel chapter 9, look at what it says here. It says, Daniel chapter 9, it says, but in the middle of that seven-year period, this prince who is to come will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. That's exactly what Jesus says. When you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, don't go back to your home to get your tunic. You need to head for the hills. You need to get out of Dodge. You need to get out of Israel. You've got to get out of Jerusalem. Because this Antichrist, he will turn on a dime. And here's what he'll do. He's going to allow 
put up a wall, allow the Jews to build their temple, allow the Muslims to continue to control their part, allow the Jews to control their part, separated by a stone wall. That's going to go well, huh? But here's the thing. It's going to seem like the right thing to do at the time, but in the middle of the seven-year period, when the Jews have already got their temple built, everything is operating, everything is in operation, and they're joyous. Oh my goodness, this is our Messiah. This is our Messiah. This is our Messiah. That Messiah that they've been crying out for and have been completely and totally supporting will walk in up on the Temple Mount, which will make them a little nervous. Because he's not, I don't, I don't think he's going to be a Jew. According to Daniel chapter, uh, 11, verse 37, says, he, is, he shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above them all. In their place he shall honor a God of fortresses, and a God which his fathers did not know. Many people don't believe that this guy is going to be Jewish. I don't believe he's going to be Jewish because I don't believe that the Muslims will listen to a Jewish leader. But this guy is going to go, and he's going to go up onto the Temple Mount, which is going to start making the, the Israelites a little nervous. The Jews are going to get a little nervous. But then he's going to walk past the doors of the temple and walk into the holy place and they're going to go, what are you doing? You are not allowed in here. You're not a Jew. I know that you, we're calling you the Messiah because you are saving us. You're saving us. You're a, a political world leader, but you are not the high priest. And he's going to continue to walk past the holy place and he's going to say, I've got a secret for you. No one has ever been able to create this peace that I have created. And I'm going to let you in on a secret. The reason why nobody could allow, could, could orchestrate a peace treaty between the Muslims and the Jews is because no one was me. And I'm going to tell you a secret. And he's going to go into that holiest of holies. And he's going to set down upon the Ark of the Covenant. He's going to go, I am God. That's not an amen. That is a antichrist sitting on. That's okay. That's the antichrist sitting. It's <laughs> okay. That's that's <laughs> Nama. Nema. Take that back. Nema. Amen. Nema. I'm sorry. That's backwards. But uh you got it. Thank you. Um he's gonna go in and he's gonna sit down and he's gonna say, I'm God. And it says, the Bible says that the blinders will finally come off the Jews' eyes and they'll rip their clothes and they'll say, blasphemy. Blasphemy, we've been tricked. We've been tricked. You are not him. Well, now they'll be put to death because they're now coming against what this guy, this Antichrist, is saying that he is God. And he can't have that, that problem of the Jews calling him the Antichrist, calling him out for what he, he really is. And so Jesus says, when you see the abomination of Daniel standing in the holy place, when you see that happening, he says, don't, don't go back to your home. Don't go back to your home. He says, let me just read it to you. Jesus says this. He says, when you see Daniel chapter 24, verse 15, when you see the abomination of Daniel spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and whoever reads, let him understand, Jesus says. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. You've got to get out. You've got to go because he's coming for you. Let him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those, Jesus still speaking, woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And also pray that your flight may not be on the winter, in, in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be, and now Jesus says, there will be great tribulation. 
such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Okay? This is the Antichrist coming on the scene. The eyes are opened of the Jews. They go, oh my goodness, you're the wrong person. That's what, that's what Paul is talking about to the Thessalonians. Let no one deceive you for, for that day, the day of the Lord will not come unless the falling away comes first. Second Thessalonians chapter three. And the man of sin is revealed. That's who the Jews are looking for right now. They want this guy to come on the scene. But one day their eyes are going to be open and they're going to see that's not the guy we should have been looking for. The man And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Is this starting to make a little more sense? What this passage is talking about? This is what Paul is saying to the Jews. This is what he's saying to you. He's talking to the church. He's talking to me. He's talking to anybody who will listen. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness, it's already at work. But only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. When he's taken out of the way, then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath. This is how the, the end of the lawless one will be. This is what the end of the of the the Antichrist is, this is his end, Paul is saying. The Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. And just so you understand, so we're we're, we're clear on this, Paul is is saying here, in chapter chapter 2, verse 9 of 2 Thessalonians, he says, now just so you understand where this guy gets his power, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. I don't have time to get into that part because that is a one of the heaviest parts of Scripture right there to me. It's one of the most depressing parts of the Scripture to me that I'll talk a little bit about next week when we get here. But here's the thing. This lawless one is going to come in the power of Satan. He's going to come in the power of Satan. Right? He's going to come and he's going to go in and he's going to establish this peace treaty. And when he allows the Jews to rebuild their temple, he's going to go into the temple after they've already started their sacrifice. Daniel chapter 9 verse 26 says that he'll end sacrifices. How is he going to end sacrifices? When he goes in and he sits down and he says, I am God. I am God, so that he sits in the temple declaring himself that he is God. Showing him to, so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. When he's in there, the sacrifices are going to stop because the Jews are going to leave. They're going to rip their, 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 their clothes and they're going to run. They're going to get out of there. All of this said, what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to say to the church, don't stress out on the end times right now because you're not going to be here. Pastor Don, how do you know we're not going to be here? Because that's what Paul just said here. The one thing that is holding this Antichrist from being revealed, only he who now restrains from the Antichrist coming on the scene will continue to do so until... He's taken out of the way. What is the he? I do not see any other viable explanation or description other than that is the Holy Spirit residing in the church, you and me. The Holy Spirit in us is what is holding this Antichrist from being revealed. How hard would he have it? if he came on the scene and he begins to establish peace with Israel and he says, hey, let's build a wall. How many Christians do you think are going to go, no, 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 don't listen to this guy. He will be fighting the church. But if the church is gone, 
He's got a clear road. It's a clear road. And by the way, the church being gone is not a picture of... of it's, it's not by the doing of Satan. Because the Bible says that Satan cannot... Jesus said... You remember when he was talking to, to, to Peter? And, and the guys, he says, Hey, who do people say that I am? Well, Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. I don't know. Yeah, they, they say you're one somebody like that. And Jesus said, well, but who do you guys say that I am? And Peter, he opened his mouth. He goes, oh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And you know what Jesus said to him? This is important, very important, very important. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven revealed this to you. And I shall say, and I say, Peter, it is upon this rock that I will build my church. Peter, it's upon this confession that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that I am going to build my church. I've been to Caesarea Philippi. That's, I got a little stone over on my desk. In fact, I'm going to walk over there as I'm talking about it. And, and I love this picture because this, this stone right over here is a, is a stone that is a, a taken from Caesarea Philippi where Jesus gave that, that mention. He says, Peter, this is where, he says, Peter, you are a stone. You're a little stone, Petros. But you will be Petros. It's upon this rock that I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter means small stone. Or Cephas means small stone. Peter means rock. It's the confession that Peter, it's not upon Peter that the church is going to be built. That's where, I'm, I'm sorry if you're Roman Catholic in here, but that's where you got it wrong. It wasn't upon Peter that Jesus was going to build his church. It was upon the confession that Peter made. So that Peter, you know, well, that one must, that was Peter. That was Pope Peter. That was the first Pope that we had. Jesus granted it to him right there. That nothing further from the truth. It was upon his statement that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, you're just a stone in this huge mountain of rock. And there in Caesarea Philippi, there is this stone I've been there, I've sat, I've stood there, and I've prayed there. It's an awesome place. There's a, a, a light, nice little river that goes through, kind of just a real peaceful place. But there is this big stone hill right there. Constantine's mom built a, built a church on top because she was a little weird, okay? She walked through, and, and she, you know, Many people will go to all these places where Constantine's mom built churches because those that's where Jesus was or this is where Jesus did this or this is where Jesus did that. That was just Constantine's mom kind of walking through and going, oh, that must be the place. That must be the place. Build a church, build a church, build a church, build a church. Well, now that's where you know a lot of tour groups will go because that's where Constantine's mom, who wasn't even alive when Jesus was alive, when she said, that's the place. But it's upon this rock, I think she got this one right. Because in Caesarea Philippi, it was known for that stone. Today, it's not called Caesarea Philippi. Today, it's called Banias, B-A-N-A-I-S, Banias, or B-A-N-I-A-S, Banias, which was a derivative of the actual name that they named it, that the Greek mythological believers named that city, called, they called it Panias, because in this big stone, there is this huge cave. And they called it Panias because the Greek mythological god of Pan is one who dwelt, he's the god of caves. And so they called this place Pan's house. Jesus didn't call it Pan's house. He looked at that stone and he said, Peter, your confession that you just made, it came from your mouth but it's like that huge stone that you see right there. The confession is huge. 
That's what I'm going to build my church on. That's what, I'm, that's what the church is going to, to be. Those who call upon the name of the Lord. Those who understand who Jesus Christ is. But he said, I will build my church upon this confession. I, I'm so far out of time here. But let me just finish with this and we'll get into this again next week. Listen. I love this area of scripture. This, you probably can tell. Here's the thing. Jesus said, Peter, this rock, this confession, stick with me, I'm, I, I'm giving you two more minutes. This confession that you have said, that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that's what I'm going to build my church on. And he then went on and said, and the gates of hell will what? Not, prevail against it, right? Remember last week I talked to you about the various views that people had about who was going to be, were people going to go through the tribulation, were people going to have to come up against this Antichrist? In Daniel chapter chapter 7, excuse me, Daniel chapter 20, or Daniel chapter 7, verse 21, talking about the Antichrist. Daniel prophesying about the Antichrist. He says, I was watching in the same horn, and I don't have time to get into why this horn is the Antichrist, but this is the Antichrist that Daniel is talking about, prophesying well into thousands of years into the future. He says, I was watching and this same horn was making war against the saints, and he was prevailing against them. Do you understand? Satan cannot prevail against you. Jesus is against the church. He can't prevail. That's the glory that we have, is that we have the Holy Spirit in us and we can combat, we can battle, we can live peacefully, we can live a victorious Christian life because the Holy Spirit is indwelt, indwelling in us as believers and Satan cannot prevail against you. You are not powerless against Satan because you have Christ living in you. And Jesus says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. You and I, we have Christ in us, man. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us. We don't have to freak out on the enemy. Man, we're Christians, man. We're representatives. We're ambassadors of Christ today. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We don't have to worry about that. But there's coming a day that the gates of hell will prevail against the saints. But it's not us. We're not those saints. Who are these guys? These guys are the guys that are in the tribulation period. Jesus promised me that the gates, that this guy isn't going to prevail against me, but Daniel chapter 7 verse 21 says that this guy is going to prevail against someone that believes who is it? I believe those are the tribulation saints that believe. And, and that will kind of be my, my lead into next week's study because there are those that will go into the tribulation period that don't have a relationship with Christ. They haven't understood the concept of Christ. They haven't understood. They haven't believed because they've never had it truly presented to them. And I believe that there are those that will go into the tribulation that will get saved. And it will cost them their lives. Most of them, it will cost them their lives. Today, it costs us nothing other than to sacrifice just our wants, our will, our desires, and give them over to the Lord, and then live a free life in Christ. And we're guaranteed that Satan and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. In the tribulation period, it's not not the case. I call those the tribulation saints. Those who get saved in the midst of the tribulation. Does the Holy Spirit come into their heart? I don't believe so at that time. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been taken out. Is the Holy Spirit still here? Yeah. But not in the, in the way that he indwells the church today. I told you Revelation 2 and 3, you know, the church age at the very end of the church age, when the church has run its course, 
The very next thing, after these things, I look, chapter 4, verse 1 of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 1, after these things, I looked and a door was opened up in heaven and a trumpet and a voice came out of heaven that said, come up here. That's the church being raptured. That's us getting out of here. Then all hell is going to break loose on this earth and God's fury will be poured from heaven down upon a Christ-rejecting earth. Jesus said it's going to be worse than this world has ever seen. But there's coming one on the scene. He's the Antichrist. It's going to create, in that time, he's going to create a peace treaty for seven years. In the middle of that seven-year period, he's going to go and he's going to sit down in the holy place and he's going to say, I'm God. And Jesus says, when you see the abomination of Daniel, get out. Those who were behind, we're gone. This Bible is going to still be around. They'll still be reading this thing. I, I, I hope I'm not confusing things. I hope I, I probably have elicited a lot of questions, and hopefully I can answer some of those next week. I'll answer any that I can today. Um, I am passionate about this kind of stuff. I love it. I, I love looking at this. It's one of the reasons why. I've never given up on my Christianity, man. I've got a lot of buddies and a lot of friends that I prayed with, I, I cried with, I cried out to the Lord with that have turned their back on the Lord. It's the reason I don't, man. I, I, I believe in what the Word of God says with every ounce of my being. And I believe that Jesus is coming back and I believe he can come back today. I want to live my life that I don't always live my life perfectly. In fact, I never live my life perfectly. I blow it more often than you probably wouldn't even be here if you saw everything I did, you know, or anything I thought, you know. But I'd probably kick you out of the church if I saw everything you thought. (laughs) I wouldn't. Here's the thing, man. I'm so thankful for God. And I am thankful that in, in a minute... He could come back. Imminent. Are you ready? I'm ready. I want I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. I want to be here. How special would that be if you and I are the ones representing him on the day we hear the trumpet? I think it's even more blessed than the days that the disciples were even here hanging out with Jesus. Really? Yeah, I do. That Jesus picked you to represent him in these days on the day he brings the church home? Think about that. That's a special honor. But as a wise man once said, with great powers comes great responsibility. The kids understood that one. That was a Spider-Man conference, you know. Live for Jesus this week, amen? Father, thank you so much for today. And Lord, I know I've talked about a lot of history today. I've talked about a lot of... uh, prophecy. I've, I've, I've talked about a lot of things. I pray, God, that I've made this in such a way that people can follow. I, I don't know if they did. God, I pray that they are confident enough to come up and talk to me about it if they don't understand. Uh, maybe write down something and send it to me this week. Maybe I can answer it this week coming in and, and maybe answer their questions following next week. Uh, I don't know. Lord, I just pray that we all can can capture what is in front of us right now, what we are on the precipice of. One of the greatest events in all of human history is about to happen. And I pray, God, that we're ready. I lift up this church. I lift up each one of these dear saints in here. And I pray, God, that they can live their life to the fullest, knowing that they have within them residing the Holy Spirit and that they would understand how special that is how much of a blessing it is because there's coming a day that he who now restrains will be taken out of the way. We and the Holy Spirit taken from here. I pray, God, that you would sink down deep into our hearts these truths. I pray if there's anything that people don't understand, they go back and they look it up themselves. Read it. Study it understand it. So Lord, I I pray that you've been honored in the words that I've shared here today and that I pray that 
we have all come to a little bit more knowledge of what is right directly in front of us. And I pray that even next week and maybe even the week after, we can, we can clean this up and make sure that we've got questions answered and we understand what our next steps are. They haven't changed. You told us to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, you are with us always, even to the end of the age. We're coming to the, near, to the end. We're nearing the end of the age, the church age. God, make us and show us how to be faithful. Let us live our lives the brightest as we live our last days. And so, Lord, we lift these things to you. And I pray, God, that you just bless this church. Bless these precious saints in here as we go about this week. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.